Many of you monetize with affiliate reviews, and we do too. So in this week's episode, Mark and I will talk about the best ways to create high-value, engaging product reviews and roundup reviews that also make you money. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. I am Gal and Mark is here. And for once, Mark is not in Hungary anymore. He actually just moved back to Scotland. So uh, how are you doing and how are you freezing or anything? like? Pretty good. It's been five days and it hasn't rained yet. So I don't really know what's going on here, to be honest. So you pretty much know it's going to rain till the end of the year after that. <laughs> Most uh, likely, yeah. <laughs> Cool. But that doesn't change anything to the podcast. So guys, thanks you for listening. Thank you for joining. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. We are on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we are on SoundCloud, uh, we're on Stitcher as well, or Google Podcasts, anything you're using really. Don't forget to subscribe. It's the best way to not miss episodes. Just wanted to throw that reminder out there. But right now we are going to talk about a topic that I think affects a lot of our listeners. And that is affiliate reviews. And when we say affiliate reviews, we're just going to talk about affiliate content in general, content where you talk about products and make a recommendation or not, but use affiliate links to monetize and you get paid commissions for that. I know we make a, a lot of money from doing this. I know a lot of people that uh, follow our courses, etc., make a lot of money from doing this kind of stuff. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about seven things that you can do to kind of like level up pieces of content. Like it doesn't mean you don't need, you need all of them. Sometimes just like one or two is going to be relevant to what you're doing. But these are, for the most part, we've basically tried them all. And, and yeah, they, they allow you to give more legitimacy to your content, to get more engagement from the readers and engagement on reviews equals money equals commissions. So it's good. It also, so Stripe reviews, one thing that I really like as well is when you do it right, the companies that you're reviewing, they want to work with you. And very often these companies have large marketing budget and you can kind of piggyback right that marketing budget to promote your site. It happens a lot. Like on Twitter Hacker, you can see that, for example, like we like Ahrefs, we promote them. And when Ahrefs has an occasion to promote us back, they, they will do that, despite the fact that we're also affiliates, so we get paid by Ahrefs commissions, mostly because they're like associating uh, with our brand, with the way we do content. And a lot of the things we're going to talk about in this podcast are these things that, you know, kind of transform us from like a basic affiliate to kind of like a, a mini marketing business partner with these brands that uh, allows us to get things like links that we wouldn't get otherwise or promotion we wouldn't get otherwise or rich wouldn't get otherwise. So yeah, that's basically what I wanted to say about the topic. Any intro element I didn't talk about, Mark? No, no. I think we should just get started. So the first one, and I think some people are going to roll their eyes on the first item because I talk about this every time we talk about content. Uh, and that's content structure. I think a lot of people, I mean, I've said it many times, but many people cannot structure content properly. I would go much further. I would say most people, including most people who have the templates which we've created, still cannot structure content correctly. Uh, I think it's fundamentally the most important part of creating content is to have the right structure down. We spent a lot of time last year looking at sites like the Wirecutter and, and other big, big sites. CNET and all the big tech guys, etc. Like PC Mag is a really good effort site as well to look at. Yeah, the, there's but the guys who are at the top, these million, multi-million dollar sites, they are just so much beyond what most people are doing in, in terms of their, their their content and their content structure. And you can really see how how much they've thought about it if you look at their, their structure over time and how it changes with newer articles and things that they've they've improved on and, and, and whatnot. So I think before we even get into how you can improve your content structure, it's just really important to say that if you don't have a sort of rigid content, not a rigid, that's the wrong word, but if you're not structuring your articles in a consistent way, you're missing out on a lot of opportunity to create better content across your site. So what do we mean by structure? I think in Authority Hacker Pro and in the Authority Site System, we really push people to use some templates we've created. And that allows people to structure their product reviews in a very specific way with all the key information displayed in the right points. 
and it may sound obvious like when when i think gail created them to begin with i was like well of course that's everyone knows how to do reviews everyone knows how to write them but most people if you're hiring writers are not going to know how to create these reviews in the way that you want to do so it's a really good way of ensuring consistency across your site and ensuring that all writers including yourself because you will forget as time goes on hit all the points that you need to be making and have information about each section that needs to be in there so just want to start off by saying that it's one of the i mean i've been recruiting a lot of writers i mean we're right recruiting writers for tori hacker right now i've sent an email to the list so most likely most people who listen to the podcast have received that email and that's one of the things that's going for the most like coherence in, in structure this and like sentence heaviness basically like it's sometimes i i look at this over technical knowledge and things like that because i know it's easy to pick up but um knowing how to write is something that will take years to do right and uh and yeah so let's talk about this in specifics though because this is all very general right now i'm going to take two types of content i'm not going to take like 10 types of affiliate content because that's the whole podcast otherwise the first one i'm going to talk about is the best explorer so like essentially like best uh, thread meals or best thread meals to lose weight or best thread meals for apartments that kind of articles that a lot a lot sometimes of called a roundup review yeah, a lot of affiliates do. I would say that is the most popular type of content for affiliate. The one thing that I think it, it's mostly the the wire cutter. I mean, there's kind of been an evolution of this type of content, right? So initially, people would just write an article and put some mini reviews of products at the end where they would just make a list of products, like five or 10 or whatever, and then just put a call to action either in the name of the product or with a button below. I think bestgearreview.com would be a, a good example of these guys. Then when the wire cutter kind of like became big, they actually redefined the way this type of content is done. And, uh, and they've done a few interesting things. The first thing they do is in the first paragraph of their, of their best text for wire roundup review, they claim the winner right away. And they not only claim it in the first paragraph, but they actually make a product box on top that says the overall winner is this guy, then put a couple of bullet points that describe what the product is and put a big call to action. And I saw this question on the AutoSI system group on like, oh, you guys do these mini, these bio guys, then the mini reviews, but some people do the mini reviews, then the bio guys. And what, like, why are you doing it this way? And my answer was because anyway, 80% or 90% of your revenue is going to come from this first paragraph call to action and or comparison table. But the wire cutter actually has changed from what used to be comparison tables below a couple of paragraphs, which... It's something that you still see, for example, on House Ambition. We're kind of following the old model on there. It hasn't been updated, but like if we do best exploits these days, it would probably be following more what's the what the wire cutter is doing right now. And and all your sales are gonna come from that basically. So that's the first thing. Having either having a call to action on top with like claiming the best. Then you can put your intro and then you can actually put the comparison table. So you're able to get both the wire cutter and do both. But honestly, you're going to get more conversions if you have both. And if you put your introduction in between, then it's not going to be too heavy in terms of graphical elements on the page. It's not going to look like the, the early days of Thrive when you would put content boxes everywhere. And, and it's going to be fine. And the, the comparison tables are really powerful as well. In terms of how we do comparison tables these days, we actually... So we use Elementor as our page builder. Elementor does not have tables built in. And so we use a plugin called Elementor Extras. To be frank, it's not the most user-friendly to build. Like, It's one of the things I miss from Stripe Architect, actually. The table builder was the best on Stripe Architect to build them, not on mobile, because on mobile, they would still break quite often. Uh, and funnily enough, like for anyone that's like, oh, I'm just using the default WordPress editor. Well, the default WordPress editor tables, they also break. So the Gutenberg editor tables, so it has tables, but they break. Uh, and the way I know that is when we released that case study post on uh, the site cell that we released like a couple, like two months ago, maybe. I built the site on on uh, the post, sorry, on Gutenberg and literally nobody could read the tables on mobile. I had to rebuild the tables on these Elementor extras. So uh, that's what we use. I think Ultimate add-on for Elementor from the guys that do Astra is also good and has tables as well. It works the same way, so you can check this one as well. We're not affiliated with any of them at this point, so they both work. We use Elementor Extras on Atari Hacker and a few other sites. That's what I can tell you. But another thing that has changed with Roundup Reviews in terms of, in terms of how things are done, and there's kind of like two approaches. 
Because usually, let's say you want to write about best thread meals. And then when you do your keyword research, you say, best thread meals might have like 2,000 searches a month. I don't know. I didn't check it before. But let's say it has 2,000. But then you will have different keywords, like best thread meal for small apartments or best thread meals for very heavy people. Or you mean treadmill, not threadmill, right? Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, French accent hit again, you know. Anyway, you have all these sub-keywords that will maybe have like two, three hundred searches per month. And and the debate is going to be, do I create an individual page for all of these sub-keywords and kind of build a hub around treadmills? Or do I make one page and essentially make these specific cases H2s. So like best treadmills for apartment is going to be an H2. Best treadmills for very heavy people is going to be an H2, etc. And the answer to that question that we have found usually, and that is usually the answer that to any kind of like Cornelian decision we have in SEO is look at what's ranking. <laughs> and we've had situations where sub pages that would focus exactly on that keyword would rank, in which case we would actually also create a separate page. But in some cases, and, and more and more these days to be frank, it's just like one best text page that tends to rank for all these sub keywords by just hitting them as H2s. And in that case, you will structure your roundup review differently. You will structure it in a way that you're hitting all these sub points as H2s, and that's going to be part of your article structure. And what is interesting is it's changing very much from the traditional way of how these used to be built, because the way it used to be built, it used to be a ranking. It used to be like one to five, et cetera. But really... Who would buy number three or four? You know, like nobody cares about these. Like it's really just when you're typing best, you want the best. So what this new format allows you to do is to actually hit all these different sub uh, situations in small apartments for heavy people, whatever, and have a best product for each of them and still stay relevant to your search query. So more and more, these roundup reviews are structured for like best for different situations and there's less and less kind of like sub mini pages that are made for all the different situations. If you are a tiny site with Lodia, it might be an opportunity sometimes to actually like snag some of these smaller keywords, but then you will be hit by cannibalization problem. Well, if you want to rank for the best treadmill and you have like 20 pages that talk about best treadmills, it's going to be very difficult and Google's just going to juggle which page ranks and you're always going to be stuck on page two or three. It's also worth considering the not just the traffic you can pick up here, but the conversion potential as well. If you're able to offer advice about a product in a way that's more relevant to an individual, people are not always going to be searching for their use case. If I'm a very heavy person, it's unlikely I'm going to say best treadmill for very heavy people. I might just search best treadmill. Then what happens after that is I see that your review has you know sub-use case which would apply more to me than someone else. And then all of a sudden trust this review and be much more interested in whatever product they recommend in that that sub-use case, I'm much more likely to actually buy. Yeah, what is interesting as well is when you take this approach, um, link building becomes a lot easier in the sense that if you have 20 pages about that topic, well, several queries require links is complicated. Whereas if you're hitting all the subtopics in, in one page, then you're able to push the whole page further. And also in terms of internal linking, it's much easier as well. It's also nicer because you can focus more budget onto a single article rather than having to write, you know, 20 different articles, which is most likely going to have a much higher word count than one very deep article. You can afford to hire better writers to have them spend more time researching the, the, the product, maybe even buying the product themselves to review it properly. Yeah because you don't have to have that that big amount of word count you also have fewer articles on your site which you need to maintain so it just makes the whole operation simpler and easier yeah yeah maintaining content is a pain yes so uh, especially if you're doing stuff like amazon and like product links expire and stuff like that like you you're gonna have a traffic er uh, an earning erosion over time and the less pages you have the more under control you can keep that Trust me, from people that have sites with thousands of pages, it is complicated to maintain these things all the time. I still didn't talk about the bio guide part. Like I was like, wow, this is actually the, probably the most advanced podcast on like roundup reviews ever. Yeah, so the bio guide part is interesting as well. 
like I've been reading, a, I read a lot of tech stuff. Like I read a lot of like tech reviews, etc. And to be honest, I wasn't super on board with the way like the big tech magazines do it. So like a good site that does roundup reviews would be uh, windowscentral.com. I think this guy is like a really good authority side example, actually. Highly recommend checking it out. They do affiliate marketing, they do ads, they do sponsorship. Uh, he has a great YouTube channel. They're not a big team or anything, and it's a it's a great, great site. And the way they do their round of review is interesting. They just pick three to eight core features that most products will have. So let's say I would be reviewing... I'm going to take a, an online marketing tool so that most people know about it. I'm going to take the email marketing tools. So we did that at, at some point. And so what is important for email marketing tools? Like the ability to build to do send broadcast emails and the ability to reach the inbox with broadcast emails, the ability to edit emails easily and not have something that breaks or is complicated to use, the ability to build automations, the quality of the reporting, a few items like that. So you essentially make a list of like five, six things that are important that make a good email marketing tool. And then what you do is you essentially benchmark all the products you have in your router preview against this one criteria and you're able to claim a winner every time. And that's what these, these tech sites do. So let's say email deliverability, like, and then they will, we would run a test. That's what we did. And then we're like, I think that ConvertKit won that test. And we're like, well, the winner is ConvertKit. If you care about deliverability, then get ConvertKit. And, uh, and then when we claim the winner, what it allows us to do is to actually build, like uh, have a subtle call to action. We just like bold and uh, bold and link the, the tool with the affiliate link. And then people that just like, yep, that's what I want. They would just click through and just buy the product. So it is a good way to build your bio guides. But most importantly, it actually bridges into the next type of content that we're going to talk about, which is single reviews. So we talked about roundup reviews, but I'm going to talk about a bit about single reviews now. When you make this list of core features you want for your like best email tool in that case, then when you go ahead and you review MailChimp, when you review ActiveCampaign, when you review ConvertKit, you're able to take these same core features and build your single review around that. And that's that's how we're jumping into that. You can build consistency between your single review and your roundup reviews if you're doing single reviews. I know they're not as popular as roundup reviews these days. And to be honest, it's a shame because there's a lot of such volume around product names. I think affiliates probably gave up on them a little bit too early. But yeah, you can build that consistency when you build when you you structure your roundup reviews this way. Anything else you want to say about roundup reviews before we jump? In, in the context of a template, you can't really specify a way to the specific three to eight, say, core features that you're going to benchmark in each sort of topic or subtopic in your general roundup review template you just have to outline the process for identifying them in your template and then leave it up to your editor and your writer to work through that as a sort of process really usually we have that process where that's why we do the outlines on dynalist because then when we work on dynalist i'm like okay well this is what you want to do the bio guide you need to pick three to eight things that you will benchmark every tool against so that we can compare them and then what the person that takes on the article does is they prepare their dyno list following that structure, but actually filling in you know, the stuff that they're going to look into. And then before they even start writing, we actually talk to them and we make sure they don't fuck it up, basically. This also allows, like generally, if you're running a site, you will have a much better idea of what's a good product in your industry versus what's a bad one and what to look for than a writer would unless the writer's been working with you for for a very long time so that kind of ability to discern what's good what's bad what's bullshit it is very hard to train a writer quickly and that it takes years to to build that up so this is a good way to or a good kind of way to structure the learning of that because you can start by picking those features yourself and giving it to the writer and the writer can still write a really good article and hit all the points you would have you would have hit yourself. Then you can start working on it together with your writer. Then you can start having just your writer do it and you check it and eventually just your writer do it and you hardly need to check it or only every, every so often. So it's a good kind of way to ease in writers who, you know, in some niches, online marketing's a good example of one. You know, we're always looking for writers by the way, go to ProBlogger and you'll find our jobs ad on there if you do want to apply. I don't think you mentioned that earlier. I mean, it's very difficult to find people who are 
really know this this industry quite well. The reason for that is because a lot of people they have their own blogs or they have their own websites. So it's it's a it's a real challenge for us. But having this kind of process in place has really made it easier to kind of bring very talented writers up to the level that we we kind of want them to to be at in a, in a very short short space of time. I can't really recommend it enough. Yeah, it allows you to to be more lax on your recruiting, basically. Even though, like, I, you still I wouldn't want go as people. far as to say lax on recruiting, but okay, uh, lax is <laughs> is a treadmill of treadmills, you know. It's, All right. <laughs> anyway, let's jump into single reviews. So, one thing that I like to do now, and especially now that the tech is here, is custom post templates. So, when I was looking at single reviews when we were rebuilding a bunch of our sites last year. I looked at the biggest review sites. And one of those that I looked into was CNET. CNET makes an absolute ton of money from affiliate marketing. They review washing machines to video games to whatever. And they have very specific post templates with above the fold call to action. And they're not the only one. A lot of really, really big sites have, you know, kind of like a, a custom header for single reviews. And this used to be very, like, not very complex. You could always do custom fields. But you would need a dev to build it and maintain it because these things would tend to break. But nowadays, we use the Elementor Team Builder to build custom post templates. And we, with the dynamic field, advanced custom field, sorry, we are able to essentially build something very, very much like CNET. And you can check the single reviews on Atari Hacker. You get a bit of an example, but we have other sites that use the same kind of templates. And it's really cool because... At this point, I even build like templates per category. So let's say, and I'm not going to give an example of another thing we do, but let's say like, once again, let's take the email marketing tools. We would literally have a custom field that's like delivery score and, you know, broadcast quality or wheezy we get it or quality. And we'd be able to build custom fields per category of product review and make something very, very nice and custom. And to be honest, when you look at the, the subs, I mean, it depends on the industry a lot. Like if you can click bank subs, you won't find that. But if you look at subs for like very popular products and all like single review keywords with thousands of searches per month, you will find more and more of these custom templates. So I highly recommend you do that. You also get way higher click-through rate because you have a really obvious call to action above default. So I would uh, do that. In terms of how... I would structure these reviews these days. I would literally just like have a quick intro that just introduces what the product does, maybe the history of the company. Like let's say there was a big scandal or something, or they really messed up or whatever. There was an oil spill or something. Then you you would probably want to highlight that in the intro just to give some background on the company. And then really for us, when we produce this kind of content, when we do a single review, we often have a random preview for the for the product category. And so we literally just take all the benchmarks, like the three-to-eight benchmarks we mentioned before, and we just run the product through it, and we just give the scores and give our impression on it. Now, it would be the, the main body of the article. One thing as well is uh, alternative keywords have high search volume usually. We would add a section on alternatives for that product. And it allows us not only to list a bunch of other products and put other affiliate links, but also if we have single reviews of the alternative products, we are able to internal link to them. So it's that you build that kind of like silo stuff that is good for your SEO as well. And after that, we just go for the conclusion and recommend it or not recommend it. And I, I think we'll talk about this later, but one thing that is interesting as well is to write about products you either don't recommend and or have no affiliate programs. And uh, in your conclusion, in the alternative, essentially push an alternative that uh, makes you money and all you like better. That is a great way to avoid the sea of affiliates that only focus on affiliate keywords on products that have affiliate programs. And at the same time, it allows you to prevent people from making a bad purchase decision if they're looking to buy a bad product. And we will talk about negative reviews in a second, but I think you wanted to talk about getting the product, Mark. Yeah, so just wanted to add to this that with any review and more and more as people look to online reviews to inform their purchasing decisions, people are not dumb. They know, or a lot of people at least know whether or not you have the product. I mean, if you just have a couple of stock images of the product taken from the manufacturer's website or from Amazon or wherever, 
and you're kind of always writing positive things about every product you ever review, it can be quite transparent. And I think that can hurt. If you're reviewing a physical, a tangible product, like a camera or something, it really does pay, especially these days. And it really does pay to have the product in your hand, to take photos of it, to actually use it. So you can create better content about what the actual experience is, is like. It's not mandatory. You can still get away with kind of looking at what other people are writing about and how, how they've re- reviewed it, what, what feedback other people are giving and other places. I think we'll talk about that in one of the other points later on. I just realized we're half an hour in and we're still on point one. So better get moving. To consider acquiring the product, you can always buy it, resell it as a way to kind of recoup some of the the costs. And this starts to make more and more sense uh, as you go for more and more competitive products, which have higher affiliate commissions and which you could, and especially if you're sort of consolidating some of your roundup reviews and not having to create as many separate articles, it can start to make more sense to, to do this. Where this becomes infinitely easier is if you're in some kind of niche where the product is intangible, like software. Perfect example of that. It's so easy to buy soft info products. A good one too. So easy to buy these and review them. You know, you, you don't have to deal with shipping or logistics or, or anything like that. You can take screenshots super easy. It's just really, really good. The other thing I wanted to say on reviews is that SEO people tend to be quite logical. We're, you know, we're talking about content structure and you know everything where it should go and how organized it is. And it's great. And I think it's a really good way of producing content. Just don't forget the person who's buying it. People don't usually make logical decisions when they're buying things. They think they do, but they're they're really making decision buying decisions based on emotion. So remember to, in your content structure, tackle that side of the debate as well. Okay, it's, it's great thinking about what kind of features a, a product has, how many megabytes or what the deliverability rate is or whatever the, the statistic is. But at the end of the day, how does it feel to use it is a really important thing, which, which, which you should try and communicate in your, in your reviews as well. Cool. The good news is the next points are going to be much shorter, Mark. So, so that should that should help. We're going to talk about call to actions. Obviously, we talked about content, but if you want to make money, you need to get people to click on these damn links. And so, as a result, you need to work on your call to actions. This is uh, quite important. So for us, you know what? I paid attention in art class when I was in high school. It's like at some point I was quite bad in high school, and the one class where I had a good grade was art. You know? Seriously. Like, yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I was like the absolute worst of the worst students. And I can tell from your design stuff. <laughs> like when Mark, when Mark likes a design, usually it means we need to redo it, basically. I once broke my hand, my writing hand in school. And I spent absolutely ages drawing this. It was some kind of like farm equipment thing. I had to draw, draw it with a pencil. I spent ages doing it and I was like, oh, my, wow, that's actually good. That's better than I could have done with my, my right hand because I spent so long doing it. I showed it to the teacher and she turned around and she's like, yeah, you should probably write broken arm next to it just, <laughs> just so we know. And I was like, fuck. Yeah, so, I mean, I was bad at doing the art, but I was good at like the history of the, and um, the theory behind it, like perspective and, uh, and like uh, all of that. And one of them was, the chromatic circle of colors, basically uh, contrasting colors and how, how it works together. So, for example, green and red are like made to contrast with each other and so on. And actually, that one little thing that I learned in art class is what I'm using to build most of our sites, actually. So I usually like click on the, on the chromatic circle of colors and I uh, pick the most contrasting color to put the call to actions in, uh, or at least something that's close enough to that. Or like on Atari Hacker, it's kind of interesting. On the top headers for the for the reviews, you'll actually see that they're colored for the color of the category. So if you check a plugin review, for example, it's going to be purple. And then we actually have the call to action in white and just like pops off when you mouse over. But essentially, we just you need to build really contrasting colors. And the reason I have this point, I expected most people would know that as well. But we have been doing competitive analysis for Atari Hacker recently since we're hiring a bunch of writers to create content on the site. And uh, I see a lot of people trying to copy us, but not really understanding that part. And I've seen 
<laughs> I've seen that one site that literally has like red buttons on red background for their call to action for affiliate reviews. And I'm like, all right, you don't exactly understand how we're doing it. <laughs> so yeah, contrasting colors, literally Google chromatic circle of colors. And the way it works is like, pick the color of whatever the background or your dominant color on your site. And then you look on the opposite side of the circle and it's going to give you the most contrasting color. So that's the way you want to do that. And it's going to give you an idea of what color you should use for your call to action. Another thing as well is you need to make your call to actions happen often. Like, And to be honest, we have been on many sites, we've done a good job, but on Twitter Hacker, we haven't. It's like you need to make your call to action happen almost at the end of every point you make. And that's why I like the idea for example, in uh, single and roundup reviews to claim, I mean, in roundup reviews rather, to claim a winner for each feature because what it allows you to do is it allows you to have a call to action for that winner and be like, hey, get your free trial or get whatever it is. And so the reason why people don't do that usually is because there is that theory in SEO that a lot of affiliate links on a page makes its rankings lower. And I'm sure you've heard about that many times. And we see this question on Facebook groups all the time and so on. And to be frank, uh, the site that we just sold for like a high six-figure number, some pages that ranked really high for fairly competitive keywords had hundreds of affiliate links on it and didn't have any issue with rankings. We have had several sites that had a lot, a lot of affiliate links on the page and kind of adds up when you have like, let's say, comparison tables, you know, let's say you're reviewing 10 products, bam, 10 affiliate links. Above the full call to action, maybe you're going to have two, one in the paragraph, one in the box. Then you're going to have the mini reviews, you're going to have one or two, you're going to have the features, etc. So it really quickly adds up to like 50, 60, 70, up to 100. But don't be afraid of that. Put a lot of call to actions, both in plain text, like when you name the product in these reviews, like pretty much every, most of the time, you should have an affiliate link, and in buttons. That is, some people click more on plain text, some people click more on reviews, basically. Another thing that we do as well is we match the text of the call to action to the actual offer. So I mentioned like free trial a second ago, but sometimes there's discounts on products. Sometimes there is find the best offer, etc. And a lot of people don't understand that on the Elementor theme builder, you're actually able to use dynamic text on buttons as well. And that's what we do. And as a result, like we are able to put whatever string we want for all call to actions on the page in a, a field, a custom field on Elementor Theme Builder. And then just like, uh, you can see it on the Toy Hacker as well. We have it on the sites where Toy Hacker, you'll see it. When there's a free trial, the button will say, claim your free trial. When there's a $10 discount, the button will say, get your $10 discount. When it's an Amazon product, it will say, find the best price on Amazon, for example, something like this. Or like, get the best offer on Amazon, not find the best price because that wouldn't work. <laughs> And another thing that I wanted to talk about call to actions is uh, pop-ups and slide-ins. So these have been like a bit of a secret source thing for a while. And I still don't see a lot of people do it, but we've made a lot of money from them. Essentially, what we've been doing is for our reviews and roundup reviews that are getting a lot of traffic, we create custom-built exit pop-ups or slide-ins for them. I think like on the HRS review, we had that for a while where Ahrefs had like the a free trial. And then when you would move your mouse to exit, you would literally say, hey, you're living without getting your free trial for Ahrefs. You've been reading this review. You're probably interested. Click here to claim your free trial. And then big button, essentially, which is our affiliate link. And that can yield a lot of revenue. I know we were doing that a lot for click event type products and info products a while ago. And the EPC was one of the highest on the website. And these were clicks from people that were about to leave the page. So it's quite powerful. So I recommend if you have a, a review page or roundup review page, sorry, that does really well, do take the time to build custom pop-ups. And you can kind of use the same template across the whole site, just linking to different offer, the offer that matches the page. And you're going to make a bunch of money. A site that does this well right now is safewise.com they don't do it with pop-ups but they do it with they have like this kind of like lower end of your screen call to action like kind of a hello about the bottom that matches whatever review you're reading and i'm sure they're getting a lot of clicks on that so and it's very easy to do with elemental these days as well so yeah that is basically all i had to say about cts do you want to take the next point yeah so the next one is going to be an interesting one we're going to talk about honesty in affiliate reviews now, I know everyone who's listening to this is, and who's created affiliate content before has had to, at some point, contend with, do a bit of soul searching and contend with how they want to present information to this world. Because as an affiliate, you get paid when people buy a product. 
that you recommend on your site through an affiliate link. Therefore, you are incentivized to write good reviews and to put place products in a positive light. If you say everything is terrible, people will read your review and think, oh, well, I shouldn't buy that and go away. I stopped doing that. If you say everything's great, then you may, and there are situations when that you can make money because people will buy the product based on your recommendation. But this also has several downsides to it, which we'll, we'll get into here. The first thing I want to say is I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't do in this situation. This is not a black and white scenario. You're not being honest or dishonest. Everyone, including myself, ourselves, operate somewhere in the shades of gray. Nothing to do with gray hat SEO or anything. I'm talking about honesty and, and truthfulness no. in, in reviews. <laughs> <Sorry>. What book? <laughs> what book? <laughs> no, you were talking about shades of gray. That's why. Oh, Fifty Shades of Grey. I haven't read it. You have to let me know if that's a good, worth, worthy read or not. But yeah, I haven't read it either. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Moving on. Getting back to honesty. There are several reasons to that you may want to consider being honest in your reviews. First and foremost, I think it's just nice. You're doing you're you're doing good for the world. You're putting a good message out there if you're being honest. Now, honesty doesn't mean saying everything's great. Honesty means being accurate. And if a product is really bad, then it's and you're you're reviewing it, then it's your duty to tell your audience I believe that it's bad and they shouldn't buy it. You don't you shouldn't be recommending bad products to them. There are millions of reviews out there of shitty diet pills and all sorts of crappy software that that's just awful. And Unfortunately, people have just the all they're doing is trying to capture the search traffic and then hope a few people who click through and buy those bad products are are going to earn them some some commissions. I don't think that's a particularly great way of of operating your business, though some people do make a lot of money off of it. So don't necessarily just listen to me. You have to make your own decision about what's the right right thing to do for this world or not. In a more practical sense. I do believe that it's more a case of when you get caught out, not if you get caught out. So I believe that even if it hasn't happened already, eventually Google people, everyone who's out there, who's a part of your kind of money funnel will eventually realize what you're doing, what you're up to, and will kind of discount your site from the search engines or just stop paying attention to your site. Now, where this is a little bit, kind of of a gray area is because a lot of affiliates, let's be honest, they don't have big long-term audiences. They're there to capture people who have a specific need for a specific product at one time, they're searching for it. That's probably the first and only time someone's going to come to to that affiliate site. And then who cares if they have a bad experience, right? Or at least that's the attitude that some people kind of kind of have. And there's validity to that. You know, you, you, you're you right. You're, you are able to make a lot of short-term money from this approach. And especially the flip side of that, though, is that if you're trying to build something more long-term, such as what we're, we're doing on Authority Hacker, if we start making dishonest reviews, saying something's good when it's bad or bad when it's good, then we're going to get into a lot of trouble because a lot of people, including most people who are listening to this podcast right now, is probably not the first podcasts of ours you've listened to, right? You, maybe you follow us, maybe you listen every so often, you've read some of our blog posts, some of our reviews. We're trying to build a, an audience of following here because in our experience, that ha- will ultimately be much, much more valuable in terms of how much money we can make, what products we can create of our own and sell, and even what new affiliate offers we can introduce, that kind of thing, than just trying to maximize the the how much money we can make the first time you come to to our site. So if you have a, a more long-term mentality, then you might want to also think about being being honest in your affiliate reviews. Another more practical thing to consider is you don't want to get sued. So if you say a product or a company is bad and it's not, if you're making inaccurate claims about why it's bad specifically, then you can potentially get sued because that is slander. Now, 
you have to be careful here because there are companies out there, and we've experienced this before, who hire lawyers or, or, or I don't even know if it's actual lawyers, but people to send threatening legal legal letters when you write a bad review saying they're going to sue you and you owe them tens of thousands of dollars because you've slandered them and you made inaccurate claims. If your claims are genuinely accurate, then you have nothing to worry about in that situation. If they're not, though, and you have to be careful if you're not writing them, if you have some writer who's you know, just trying to save some time and just make something up on the spot, if it's a negative claim about another company then uh, and it's inaccurate, then you as the company owner, the website owner where it's, where it's published, are kind of liable for that inaccuracy. And then you, you really can get sued. I don't want people to, uh, as a takeaway from this, suddenly stop saying bad things about about products because they're worried about getting sued. It's very rare, very, very rare indeed. And you have to really be shown to have had a, a very negative impact on someone's business before it's it's likely to to go anywhere. However, the takeaway would be that you should just be a little bit careful uh, in terms of accuracy, which if you're being honest in your reviews, should be a core part of your your writing process anyway. So you you wouldn't have to worry about it if that's your approach. So one more reason to be to be honest. The final thing I would say, and this is I know more of a black hat technique, I guess. Gail, you mentioned it earlier, is that the alternatives strategy. So yeah. there are a lot of people who will they'll find every keyword in about a specific topic. They'll write and I'm you can't see it because it's a podcast, but I'm doing the inverted commas thing. They'll write reviews. We need to change format. <laughs> they'll write reviews about a product, about every other product in that space. And somehow they will all end up being negative-ish reviews. And then they'll push all those traffics to one alternative. Most likely that one alternative will have, it will be either something they own or it'll be an affiliate product where they have some kind of tiered commission system. So they, the more they, more people they send, the more, the more they make kind of on a exponential, that's the word. This happens a lot in online marketing with, I'll just going to call them right out, wealthy affiliate. They, they, yeah. Yeah, they do this a lot. They encourage a lot of people to to write negative-ish reviews on other products and then recommend their the wealthy affiliate, which is by all accounts not a. Not I've a seen good that product. in a diet pill space as well. I found I can't remember the URL. I would give the URL if I remembered, but diet pills is horrendous for this stuff. It's really really bad. But I found this site with like five thousand reviews on it and all of them would recommend the same pill at the end, you know? And it was getting an absolute ton of traffic. Like this was a multi million dollar business, this one site that was just recommending this one diet pill that the site owned, you know? It's just like uh, if you check the who is it was the same guys. But it was just like linking as if it was an affiliate and they were just like literally just any day pill on the market. They would have a review that says it's not great by this one instead. And that was all they did. <laughs> this works in some situations, clearly. Doesn't mean you should all go out and, uh, and start go using this money, tactic. Okay? Probably, probably not. I don't think these, this is a good long-term ta- tactic, though I do think it's a good short-term tactic. I still yeah, wouldn't do it. I mean, like, they would get sued for sure. Like, it's, I just, I haven't, it was a while ago. I'm not even sure this site is still around, but I just remember stumbling upon this one as I was doing code research. And I was like, oh my God, this is, there's so much money here. <laughs> and, uh, and it gave me a lot of, uh, brand keywords. And that's what I said, like, uh, single reviews, they're bigger than you think. And you can get way more traffic than you think as well. Anyway, let's talk about, I think, some of the points we had actually, like we kind of like covered already because we went a little bit off script. But, um, the next three points I had were like things you probably don't do yet. And one of them is like uh, produce original imagery. So you've kind of mentioned that already. But I wanted to mention a site I really like that is probably close enough to the site that our listeners are uh, building, which is uh, moderncastle.com. I think it's a really good affiliate site that people should check out. Because these guys uh, literally have a lab where they test all these things and they produce a ton of imagery. And if you want to get inspired on like how to create imagery for physical products, this site is something that is within reach. So we're not talking about a multi-million dollar company. It's just three people running this site. And they're doing it really, really well. And uh, it looks like they're getting really good links right now. Can you just repeat the URL again? I didn't quite catch that. What was it? Moderncastle.com moderncastle.com okay 
Yeah, I really like them. I think it's a it's it's an example of a site that someone who's serious about building a high quality affiliate site is uh, like this is what people should look at. It's a really good one, and you, they also have a they also have a YouTube channel now actually. So yeah, and one thing that this does creating this this unique imagery is it gives a, you kind of piggyback right on the unboxing effect. I guess I invented that. I should probably uh, trademark this. But anyway, what it does is uh, unboxing is massive. People just want to see what happens when you buy a product. And when you actually buy the product, you can exactly do that. And you can essentially create these unboxing imagery that people go crazy about. I mean, Unbox Therapy is like a text, tech unboxing channel. I think it's like the, the third or fourth biggest YouTube channel in the world right now. So you are able to yield high engagement and create alternative content that will send people to your reviews. I mean, like there's nothing closer to single reviews than unboxing. It's kind of like the follow-up. And so it's really quite good. And I think there's a bunch of companies that do that for you now, right? I think, uh, I think we checked that out at some point. Do you remember that? Yeah. So th this is more about the actual photos that they're taking. I guess they do video as well. Uh, it was quite expensive, but there are plenty of companies which you can, they'll give you an address and you can order something from Amazon US and they'll ship it there. And then they'll like do the whole phot photography setup. They have like a proper studio and proper photographers that know exactly what they're doing. And so you can get your kind of unique original imagery there. And I think they do short videos as well that will perhaps show the unboxing side of things. Yeah. Oh, you can just hire writers in the U.S. and then have them receive it there. Or if you're in the U.S., just order on Amazon and return it after. There's plenty of ways to do it. I'm just saying that it is a way forward. And it's a great way to grow things like YouTube presence, etc. That will yield a lot of like externalities that will make your site do better in search and make you make more money. So overall, I think if you like these physical product stuff, or even if you're doing info product reviews, just buying the courses and taking screenshots inside, et cetera, and showing that it's your account and so on, we'll build so much legitimacy that it's going to eventually push conversions to a level that will be much higher than it was. And probably it will be the only way to do it in the future, I think, at some point anyway. Yeah, I, th I think we're still a little bit far from, from that point. But for sure, it's becoming more and more kind of uh, as a thing to do. So another tactic that I like to use is getting quotes from real users of the product. When you're doing Amazon products, obviously people can kind of like use Amazon reviews to like, you know, extract real life experience with the product. But for other products, like I even go on like topic related Facebook groups and I'm like, hey, is anyone a customer of this? How do you feel about it? And then use the answer people give you to enrich your content and build even more legitimacy because you're getting the experience of like a one time even if you're buying the product, you're getting a one-time experience. But like, what's interesting is like, what is the average experience like for a product? And so it's interesting to get the perspective of multiple people with multiple needs, maybe who ordered multiple different models, that kind of stuff, and put that in your content. And your content is going to be like, feel way more real, especially if you can put like real names of people that gave these quotes, etc. It's going to make you hit a lot of like interesting support keywords as well. So like, if something doesn't work, like. I don't know, you buy a laptop and like the screen fails one in 20 times when you buy a laptop. I don't know, I'm just making it up. And some users report that and you write about it. I guarantee you the search volume around that and you're actually going to get more traffic to your page and just hit more of these long tail keywords as well. So it's really quick and easy and it's going to give you, uh, it's going to give, give so much more genuineness to your review, basically. Anything you want to say about this one? Just use Reddit. I find that people are generally very honest on Reddit when criticizing things. So you can often get much better feedback there than in, in certain other places. I know uh, a lot of the time uh, when people are doing reviews, they look at the like Amazon feedback system there. People do write good and bad things on there, but it tends to be quite shorter. I found on Reddit, if you, if you do, just go to Google and do site colon Reddit, and then search for your product review, something like that. Name of product plus review, something like that. Then often you'll find people just because they want to be good citizens of the world, writing pretty in-depth reviews about how, how good or bad something is. And you can really kind of get the uh, the last 10% detail that, that most most sites are, are missing in terms of their review content from there. So yeah, good channel. 
And finally, coming from bad experience, uh, try to give an opportunity to the companies that you give bad reviews to, to check the review for for basically making sure you're factual before you, you release anything? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not so much just making sure it's factual, although they will definitely pick up on anything that, that you've gone wrong. They'll probably go too far in the other direction and say, oh, this is unfair, this is unfair. You kind of have to stand your ground a bit. It's more giving them a chance to respond to any criticism and say how they plan to address it. Because the way a company handles or deals with criticism, deals with complaints is a very important factor in terms of people's decision about whether to buy a product from them. Because what if they buy a product and goes wrong? Are they just going to be like, they're just going to be in a situation where the company's like, well, fuck you. Or are they going to actually care about getting things right and making sure that the product lives up to everything they, they said it does? This kind of lets you, as the content creator, this gives the user or the potential user of the product, a kind of micro experience of what the company may be going to respond to them for in about in such a situation. Yeah. So that's basically it for this podcast episode. I guess we didn't go too far uh, about one hour. So guys, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, we have more coming and we, I don't know if we should talk about this yet. Should we talk about this yet, Mark? What's coming next? Let's talk about it next week. Just tune into the podcast next week. There'll be some interesting, very interesting things you'll you'll learn there. I, I do want to say one more thing, which is completely unrelated, is that our affiliate program for Authority Hacker is open again. If you want to promote any of our products, if you want to write a fake review, if you want, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> or any of our <laughs> any of our products uh, or any of our future products, which we may or may not be launching soon, intent then you can apply if you go to authorityhacker.com forward slash affiliates, click on the big yellow, which is a contrasting color to the blue button, which says enroll today as an affiliate, fill in the form. And within a week, that will all be processed. I know there were a bunch of people towards the end of last year who applied and didn't get a response for ages because we we're in the middle of moving systems and stuff, but it's all sorted now. So if you want to sign up and get paid for, recommending hopefully people to authority hacker and the authority hacker products then you can go to authorityhacker.com forward slash affiliates and apply there awesome well thank you for listening guys don't forget to subscribe itunes spotify stitcher for google podcast pretty much anything you can think of we'll see you next week have a good week bye Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.